Kicking and Streaming Podcast is brought to you by Cafe 1804. Premium Haitian coffee now available online at cafe1804.com. That's cafe, K-A-F-E, 1804.com. Thank you. Thank you about the mic, man. This is uh, the combo that comes with the with the mixer, except that it takes them a long time to get those because they ship them from Australia. <laughs> and and like this little mic is a hundred dollars, Jojo. And it it sounds better than than like the Shure SM7B that is like four hundred dollars. Yeah. So. This is, I mean, Rode is making it possible for every podcaster to just do the thing. So, yeah, their stuff we're is grateful scary. for that, aren't we? Yeah, <laughs> their their stuff's high quality, and I like the sort of, uh, I don't know, neo retro look they've got going on. Yeah, neo retro is good for the health. Yeah, yeah. All right, so <laughs> ready? Yeah. Let's do this. <laughs> This is Kicking and Streaming Podcast, a binge watcher's guide to streaming movies, TV series, and stuff. Here are your hosts, Graham and Jocelyn. And hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Kicking and Streaming Podcast. My name is Graham, and with me today, as usual, is the very fantastic Jojo. Today, with cotton candy hair. Yay! Yeah. How did you? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, Jojo, tell me about the hair, man. I saw you like showing it off on Instagram this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, I have a, yeah. I have a great stylist, and uh, I've been, you know, it's a week to be happy and uh, a time to to take care of you know, take advantage of life while we still have it. So yeah, I'm like pink and purple hair. It is <laughs> pink and purple hair. I wish I could do this, but all I can do is this little, um, you know, white fringe in the front. But you, of my you've got, you've got that going on. That's natural, man. That's like, that's <laughs> awesome. I swear to God, a lady asked me, do you do that yourself? And I'm like, yeah, I think nature does it for me. <laughs> you know? I don't know where you're getting that from. <laughs> But yeah, fantastic, uh, fantastic hair, Georgia. Seriously. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, and so today we have, um, I think we we like slightly happier than we were last week. I, uh, if I do say so myself. Eh? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. I think we are on the verge of closing in on a on a chapter that we want to put behind us, and um, <laughs> hopefully that will be sooner rather than later. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's the kind of chapter that you kind of run a rip out of the book and set on fire. <laughs> we don't want to have to talk about that ever again. And yeah. in fact, if you do understand, you know, what we're talking about, you, you understand. We're not even going to explain it because, you know, whatever. It, yeah. it, it's just let, let's just never mention it again. <laughs> but uh, today we have an absolutely fantastic movie to tell you about. If you haven't seen it by now, you should, as soon as you finish listening or watching this podcast, you should go watch it because it is Aaron Sorkin good, isn't it, George? It really is. I'm excited to hear what you have to, to say about this one because we haven't gotten to talk about it before the podcast. So I'm, well, I'm excited the, to hear. <laughs> the one thing I can tell you to begin with is that I hardly ever, and I've said this before in in 
by now it might sound like I'm I'm preparing myself to sound somehow um, in a certain way, but I don't I don't cry with movies. Right? I find myself like I, I couldn't watch a very sad movie, but I did become emotional at the end of this movie, and I was tearing up like a, I mean I, I'm like what is happening to me right. Uh, because it is that kind of movie. It's not a sad movie. It's not, but yeah. it does. It will get you emotional, regardless of what you think of the the topic. I think. Yes. And we are talking about the Chicago Seven, right? Yes. yes. When was this movie released? Uh, was it? Is it? It was October. Last? October the sixteenth. Uh, it was released on the anniversary of the original events in '68. You were you were talking about that uh, it made you emotional. Not that it's a sad movie or anything by that nature, but I agree with you that it's a very powerful movie, and uh, the correlation between what is happening now and what happened 52 years ago is amazing and shocking and and emotional. Absolutely, and I, I think. One of the things that happened with this movie, this is something that I've said all along, ever since I was able to have a political conscience, I've always said that the law, although should the law should always be respected, not all the time, the law is legal. I don't know if that makes sense. The, making laws is about power. When you create laws, you are basically giving power to one side and not giving power to another side, if that makes sense. And so the law can be the law, can be the law of the land, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's legal, which is why laws are challenged in court all the yes. time, yes. which is why you have a Supreme Court that, that will find that some laws are unconstitutional. Yes. So this is basically what we're going to go on about. But I want to put this in your head again, Georgia, because this is what you do. I would like you to please explain to our audience what this is about. So this is from director Aaron Sorkin, who also wrote it. And it is the story of the Chicago 7 which I was not very familiar with before this movie. So that's a, a point against me, definitely. But this is about an uprising at the Democratic National Convention in Chicago, Illinois in 1968. It is about the political decision to make scapegoats out of originally eight people and try to make a statement with them that peaceful demonstrations, uh, peaceful uh, Civil protests, if you will. Yeah, right. peaceful protests could not be made, that they would only ever degrade into chaos and essentially put these people in prison under a very esoteric law of and a very racist law of crossing state lines to incite violence. And this is the story of what happened during that trial. This movie is not completely 
historically accurate, um, but that's okay. It's It doesn't take any liberties in the sense of what happened. It's just kind of paints with a very broad brush what happened with the Chicago 7. And it makes for a great movie and hopefully will lead you to doing some research into down the road of what was going on in the 60s and the correlation of today. That's it. That's it right there. And and it is important to understand that, yes, they, they as you said, broad paint, but uh, definitely not steering too far away from the truth. It's just that. No, no, it's not, not the things. Right. Right. You have to make things interesting. I think, and I read a, a, an interview with Aaron Sorkin that said that, you know, he considers this a painting and not a photograph of the time. So, you know, it's something to make it, you know, some things may be dramatized to be a little more interesting, but in the sense of, of, of the broader picture of what actually happened, it, it is faithful. It doesn't, you know, deviate so much that it's a completely different story. Right. And so let me start with your opinion, Jojo. What, what did you think of it all? I thought it was a great movie. Um, beautifully directed, beautifully written, amazing performances, and also sort of heartbreaking in the sense of, of change not happening. There has been change. Things have changed, but it's like at the core of everything, there's still this rottenness. And that made it much more poignant for me. Yeah. If that makes sense. That makes perfect sense because... So what we are able to see, because I, I feel the same way, Jojo, what we are able to see is that we live in a society that takes two steps forward and one step backward in terms of civil rights, in terms of race relations, in terms of the, the, the great liberties and privileges that we tend to tell the rest of the world that we have. And the fact of the matter is, some of us, some of America lives in a dreamland that that's our reality, that we have great liberties and we cannot compare to banana republics. And that in, in the blink of an eye, all of a sudden, we see things happening that aren't typical. Those aren't the things that are expected of America. And the crazy thing is that the rest of the world take its cues from America. So when we, our governments, do these kind of things to the people, then it gives any other government the conviction that it needs to also go after the people. And so again the correlation between what has happened and what has been happening very recently to what happened 50-something-odd years ago is there's, there's no difference whatsoever because for a country, for, for America, a nation that was founded on civil disobedience, the government of America has always been deathly afraid of civil disobedience. Why? Because we know the power of civil disobedience. And because they understand that power, 
It is the one power that they don't want the people to have. And here it is. Today, 2020, we're still having that same fight, isn't it? Yes. 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 Beautifully put. And there is, we could talk about this movie, you know, uh, because at the end of the day, the reason why there's very little things to say about this movie is because the entire time it's about a trial, right? Yes. Yes. And so if we talked about it in that sense, then we probably are giving it all away. We want you to watch this movie. We want you to understand what you're seeing. And so, so it might, this might well be a very short show, a very short podcast. Uh, but what we're trying to do here is we won't, <laughs> I think no one should make a judgment without watching this movie. I don't care what you feel about the most recent protests and civil unrests in the United States. You should watch this movie. What do you say, Jojo? I agree. I agree. Watch, watch this movie. Watch it and then, and then do some reading afterwards. There is a really, really, really good article from the Smithsonian Magazine called The True Story of the Trial of the Chicago 7. And it goes into a little bit of the differences a little bit of of the history of what actually happened, and um, it goes into each one of the the personalities, the the people, the human beings that were part of the Chicago Seven originally eight, and it goes into some of the things that happened. You may not believe some of the things that the judge did in this. You may go, "Oh, that's that's just yeah. that was director privilege or art, art artistic privilege, poetic license." He did those things. Uh, he did them and worse. And so I, I really encourage you. It, it, it's a free article. It's not behind a paywall. It's from the Smithsonian Magazine. It's, it's a brilliant article. Um, it's not very long if you're not into reading long things. But it just kind of gives you a, a, a great... Um, it pulls everything that the movie tells you and pulls it into reality as well for you so that you can see just what was going on and just how much it correlates with what is going on today. I also got very interested, and this is, this is probably slightly off subject, but I got very interested in the ages of these people because I was like, how can a generation change so much from the 60s to now? And when I looked at the ages of the Chicago 7, originally 8, They are not baby boomers. They are part of the silent generation. They are a generation earlier. And they were an earlier generation that was trying to get the baby boomers to be interested, to understand what was going on around them, to create change because they understood that this was the new generation and they needed to know what was going on. So... um, always been interested in the differences in generations. So I, I, when I looked that up, I was like, okay, this makes sense to me now. <laughs> they weren't part of the baby boomer generation. They were a generation older. They were the silent generation. They were the ones who had seen World War II. They had seen bits of the Great Depression. They had seen all of the uprising. They had the advantage of a few more years on the boomers, um, years of hardship perhaps. 
and we're able to go, let's come on, folks, that's you're a huge amount of people. Let's get this going. Let's get this changed. So I, I thought that was very interesting. Um, and the Smithsonian article helped me find that out. <laughs> <laughs> So, which is why, you know, it is always great to do a bit of research. It's always great to, you know, like Jocelyn Fowler would have done. Just go after other sources, find out for yourself what you're watching, how accurate it is, and the real story behind it. We, we, we don't take our cues from movies because movies are always going to take artistic liberties. We understand that. But yeah, yeah, there's there's much more to read about this. But it is important. I I I like that you brought the generational gap that exists between the people who are at the forefront of this story and the people who were sort of like behind the curtain. And the reason the, the reason I, I like that is because of the many things that happened, of the many injustices that happened during this movie, you could see the, the, the generational divide. The judge was, of course, of a generation that, for him, it was about preserving the status quo, right? Mm-hmm. America is a country of castes. Racism is part of that caste system. But within that caste, there's quite a few, right, on the echelon. White poverty is part of that caste. Poverty in itself is part of that caste. Education is part of that caste. On education, not being educated is part of that caste. And I will stop here. We're not affiliated with anybody on this podcast, but I would recommend that our listeners find this book and read it. It is called Cast. It is by an author named Isabel Wilkerson. You have to find this book and understand it because if you read this book, you will understand this is the most comprehensive approach to how racism came to be in America. That for the most part, racism in itself is correlated with the understanding of caste. This is why we have names like trailer trash, hillbillies. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so everything mm-hmm. is about that caste. And so if you see the judge, mm-hmm. he is, you know, part of that caste. And to him, this is. We have to preserve order. We have to preserve the, ta- the status quo. But then, mm-hmm. if you see even the defendant, to a certain extent, and for a large part of the movie, and I think Aaron Sorkin made sure to tell this story, is that for the most part, it doesn't seem like they give a shit about what was happening to Bobby Seale. <laughs> it was just like... Yeah. Uh, it was just yeah. like, I mean, we... We, we're this, but should we care about what's happening to this Negro? Yeah. <laughs> and, and the, the, like the whole, hey man, you don't want me to defend you? That's fine. That, that, that's cool with me because my clients are this guy. But then no professional, no officer of the court stood up to say, judge, 
I don't think we should continue with this trial. At least we should not have these men sitting here, standing trial, where seven of us have, uh, have lawyers, and he's not, he doesn't have a lawyer. But right. no, no, like right. no one. Because at the end of the day, even when we are fighting the same fight, we're not coming from, we weren't coming from the same perspective. And so right. this, this movie works on that and, and you can see it. You can, you, if you understand it this way, then it will help you understand the generations that we were watching and how everybody thinks that civil rights are really, nah. There was a lot more to that before we got to where we are. And so today, this is why we, are, we still have a movement called Black Lives Matter today that is being deemed to be the radical left, the rioters, <laughs> because this country, this state hates civil disobedience, especially if it is from minority people, right? And um, what else, Jojo? Where, where was that? <laughs> um, I, I, I agree with you. I also think that it's very telling that this is the trial of the Chicago 7 when there were eight, eight. people. Yes. <laughs> and I... There's there's moments in the movie where, you know, the the members of the Black Panther Party are told to take off their very scary hats. Their very scary hats, yes. Which is is comical in a sense, you know, you laugh at it, but at the same time it's like, yeah, it's 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 comical because it's you're laughing at it because it's so pathetically true. It's it's so ridiculous that you have to laugh at yeah. it. Yeah. But it's so true that, that they, they were suddenly terrifying because they were they were wearing hats. Yeah. So I, I, I am horrified at the treatment of of him and the fact that he was included at all, I think really shows the administration at the time's frantic, search for scapegoats and needed a particular type of demographic yes. uh, to be included and uh, did everything they could to get to get that on there. And uh, I, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, it's such, it's, it's such a good movie and such a powerful movie and told in such a compelling way. And I, I hope that it inspires people to to do some research, to do some reading, to do the 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 history uh, research that is required to to understand. And I know I've, I think I've said it like six times already during this podcast, but just how much of a parallel there was from fifty over fifty years ago and what's going on right now. And the fact that there have been changes, but there has not been change. I think it is also important to remember that this whole trial, this whole case, is about people who were protesting the Vietnam War. 
Yes. So, so when you, the state deems you a terrorist, a subverter, because you are protesting the state's illegal war, illegal killing of innocent people thousands of miles away. You have to understand this. This is what happens when people, when the people protest. And I'm going to say something here. I think one of the most, or perhaps the most brilliant character here is Abby Hoffman. And the reason is because he, by trade, was a comedian. But I think we fail sometimes to give comedians their due as political commentator. And the, the, the greatest thing that happened here is that he had a moment to say what he think. He had a moment to say to the court, and he brought this entire thing to its conclusion by what he said. I'm not going to go and repeat what he said, but he made you understand what this whole thing was about. He made you understand it. And if you don't get it, you don't get it. But really, it, it falls off a tree. <laughs> um, so if we correlate what's happening today, you will understand that when people go out to protest, all they are armed with is their voices and, I don't know, signs maybe, bottles of water, <laughs> things like that. Mm -hmm. Yes. So the rioters that you hear talking about, when they leave their houses, they don't go out with the batons and the guns and the tear gas. None of that. It is always the state that is heavily armed. Again, this is not a question of like, it's action versus reaction. <laughs> Peaceful protest, yes. peaceful yes. protest, civil disobedience in itself doesn't necessarily mean riot. It doesn't. Doesn't. No, no, no. And and this was this was fifteen thousand about fifteen thousand people in Chicago for a peaceful protest that had been overall very peaceful. There had been many speeches. There had been many you know there had been marches, and they ended up being met with. I think it was 23,000 armed forces made up of uh, the National Guard, the Chicago Police Force, and I think special services. So they, they were outnumbered yeah. significantly, not just in numbers, but as you said, in, in, in power, because you know that these guys were as armed to the teeth as they could be 52 years ago. And the, it was... You know, at the very beginning of this, this was almost never a question as to who had started the violence. I don't think there was ever a question that it had been the police officers, the armed forces, um, the National Guard, the, the establishment, whatever you want to call it, were the ones that had begun the violence. And so this trial was very much a show of force in my mind to, well, we have to shut all of this down. So we're going to put them all in federal prison and they are going to be made examples of, 
and, uh, and this is not going to happen again because I, I never got under, I, I don't, the trial was never about any mm-hmm. sort of violence. It was never about somebody getting hurt. It was never about any sort of, um, uh, loss of property. That's not what the trial was about. The trial was about inciting violence uh, from, again, a very old esoteric law and was uh, just a show of power from the Nixon administration um, trying to flex their muscles and shut down the people. the, the, The thing that this movie also makes you understand is that people who are always the good soldiers who see themselves on the side of the law are the ones who most likely will be doing the devil's bidding. Because (laughs) when you look at others who have a problem and are raising their voices as disruptors, just because this is not the way you would have approached it, whoever sees that attitude in you and is in a position of power will use you against your brothers. So, and the reason I'm saying that is because you will see that in the prosecutor, right? Um, what was his name? Uh, the, the kid that prosecuted, played by um, Joseph Gordon-Lewis. Richard Schultz. Right. He he is a good Boy Scout soldier. He's he, he He's got his issues with authority. But in the end, he... Ends up. This is the kind of if you if you think about him as a kid, this is the kind of kid that maybe always questioned some of his parents' decisions and made his point about what he thinks of it, but in the end, always ended up complying. And you would think of him as the kid who couldn't wait to get himself out to college so he didn't have to be under under the authority of his parents, but he also respected his parents parents enough to not ever rebel against them. Because, you know, he had to be the good brother or the good son. And that is the kind of people that the government will convert into their own goons. The people who said, we were just following orders. That is how... Hitler approached Nazism and got so many. And, and, and <laughs> this is why all of these trials after World War II, where it was like, no, the argument that we're just following order is not going to fly here. You are guilty. You did these fucking things. You could have said yes. no. Right. And so yes. sometimes yes. the government. The government is poised to never being looked at as the bad guy. So they are always going to recruit those who they see that project is, I respect the law, I respect the government, I own, like, I, I, there is an, I respect the order of things. The ones who will not dare to disrupt. And those are the ones today, today. This government that we just got rid of, that as of the 21st of January of 2021, we, we, won't, we will never have to speak of again. 
These are the ones that were used, those good soldiers. And so this is the most relevant movie of our time. I don't know how else to say it. Isn't it, Jojo? <laughs> I agree. I really do agree. I, 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 uh, it's, uh, it's incredible how important and, again, how similar and how the rhetoric and the, the particular terms that are used are so similar to the kind of propaganda that's going around. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's almost scary in, in watching history repeat itself. Not scary, of course, in the terms of changes, but scary in the fact that, that things there has not no. been actual change. No. We have had semblances of change because what this country yes. has done all the time uh, since the American Revolution is to react. This is a reactionary... The, the American psyche is reactionary and we react to things, right? So, so 9-11 happened. What was our reaction? Invade Afghanistan, invade Iraq, right? Meanwhile, it was, what, 21 Saudis <laughs> that were the cause of, of 9-11? Yes, they got refuge in Afghanistan. Yes, but we never said a damn thing to Saudi Arabia. They have intelligence. They have enough intelligence of what their citizens are doing because... That is a a kingdom. They're watching all the time. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that Bin Laden right, and right. AR were living in Afghanistan, that doesn't mean that Saudi Arabia did not have control of, of their every move. And Saudi Arabia was our allies. And now I know I'm right. diverting a little bit, but I'm just trying to make you understand that this country reacts. And so what was your reaction to the Black Panther, the same reaction we have today to Black Lives Matter. And yes, uh, Black Panther, you, you know, suggested confronting violence with violence. But what made them scary, it was the fact that they had the word black in their name. They were black. And they looked like the militia that you see in third world countries in Africa. And even though this is a very pro-gun country, this country will turn on its head if black people are the one carrying the arms. Because if, you're, if, you, if you don't know this, the Reagan administration in California, Reagan as governor mm -hmm. of California passed several mm -hmm. anti-gun laws just so the Black Panther <laughs> could not carry arms. But yet, yes. you know, Republicans yes. are pro-gun, by the yes. way. And, and uh, Chappelle, you know, even mentioned that in one of his last specials. The only way to bring real change to America is for every... Uh, legally allowed black American to go and register for a, an automatic weapon. And become a member and, of the uh, NRA. <laughs> and, be, 
and become a member of the NRA. So I, 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 it's, it's again, one of those things that you, you chuckle at because it's so pathetically ridiculous, but it is disgustingly true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know we haven't talked about the movie a lot because (laughs) the movie is about history and it's always an opportunity to analyze history, isn't it? It's always an opportunity yes. to, 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 to have an autopsy of our history, however recent that may be, because the same thing has been happening. I mean, Jojo, we saw it all through last summer, didn't we? Yes. It's- yes. <laughs> yes. And I, I, I see it continuing for, for quite a long time. It is heartbreaking. Um, and, and so hopefully at some point there will actually be actual change, not changes, but actual fundamental change. I, I don't know about that, but it's, it's, a, it's an interesting time to live in. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it was, it was almost a reaction of, PTSD for me when I saw in the movie those armed men started to take off their badges because this just happened in Seattle this summer. People that did not feel like they needed to be identifiable, did not feel that they needed to respond to the idea, who sent you, to the question of who sent you, who are you with? In fact, one of them answered, for the Justice Department, that's all you need to know. Basically, fuck you. I don't have to. (laughs) Whatever. Like, I, I, do you understand this? Like, I do not understand how is it that people are, there are people that still carry this idealistic, bullshit about the government is there to protect us. And no, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm just saying that the picture they've painted to you about protests is bullshit because we've never had guerrillas here. We've never had civil war in this country since the civil war. And Whenever at a protest, riot started, it has always been by the heavily armed men representing the government. Don't question that. This, that's, this is not something to call in question. It is what happened. Because what do you do? What do you do when men who are representing the government throw a gas at you that is forbidden to use even in war. What the fuck are you expected mm-hmm. to do? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So don't talk to me about riot. That's why during the summer, uh, everybody who told, yeah, but the riot, they got a great go fuck yourself from me. Mm-hmm. Anyone who had anything to yeah, but you know, it's bad what's happening, but the riot, fuck you with the riots. 
<laughs> because there is no a playbook. And when we did the the seven movies about black lives in in, in black history and thing, I said this. There is no a playbook for protest. But what I can tell you is that most protests start peacefully. Simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 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 am I wrong in this? No, because it, my my thought on it is if if people wanted to be violent, they would start with violence. So there would not right. be a protest. There would not be a march. There would be an explosion. There would be a mass shooting. There would be people that would right. drop with guns and an entire city would be taken out. Which is what the right-wingers do when exactly. they are the ones expressing their grievances. Exactly. Huh? Exactly. So if, if, if you are protesting... If you are protesting, I mean, it, the, the word itself is, is a, a peaceful dissent. If you are protesting, if you are, are, are walking, if you are having demonstrations, if you are talking, you are talking, you are having speeches, you are not violent people. You are not. You're not inciting people to violence. You are exercising right. your right to speak. And so that's... It, there is no way that a protest would ever devolve into violence. Of course, there are always going to be people who join those things trying to incite violence, but that's not what I'm talking of about. Course. I'm talking about at the actual core of a protest. Is always peace, is always we want to talk about this. We want to change things in a peaceful manner, a peaceful fashion. We want to be human beings. Right. If it, so, anytime that someone shoots into a crowd of unarmed protesters, whether it's rubber bullets or whatever, it just shows the fact that the only answer that they have, that that side has, is violence, and that they are not open to any sort of actual dialogue or change. They just want to shut it down. Simple as that, Jojo. And in that, you did have the last word because your last words are always <laughs> on point. I mean, <laughs> this is one of those that I find nothing else that I, I have to say because the judge of that. <laughs> the judge. By the way, nobody has a cause that is the. The Jojo is the. <laughs> It, it makes no sense to me that I'm the gram. No, 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 no. But I do have the Jojo <laughs> by my side. You know what I mean? Jojo. Yes. So why don't we dive into the cast a bit? Brilliant cast. All right, then. The cast is absolutely marvelous. Yes. Uh, as you would expect for any Aaron Sorkin. It's like this guy can, like when he's writing, he writes with somebody in his mind. Like, yeah, this, this character is going to be played by this person. And, oh, yeah, by the way, I know he'll do it. <laughs> right, exactly. It's one of those, he, he won't turn me down. She won't turn me down. I'll be fine. <laughs> but, okay, so before we get into it, let me just say one more time. If you, in this past few days, watched the subsequent Borat movie, and you, you think that there's all there is to Sasha Baron Cohen? You're absolutely fucking wrong. And you should 
take that, drill that off your head and throw it away. Because Sasha Baron Cohen, for the second time, we're going to say it in this podcast, is one of the greatest and most serious actors of our time. <laughs> believe it or not. But this movie shows it again. And if you don't believe us, go back and watch the, what was the, that movie that we did? The Spy, the miniseries, The, the Spy. The Spy. The miniseries, the spy. yes. The and Spy will break it, your it's heart. It's Netflix too, isn't it? Yeah. Netflix. So let's go then into the cast. Andy Redmayne is an Oscar winning actor. And once again, he does nothing but deliver an absolutely powerful performance. The character of Tom Hayden, played by Eddie Redmayne, is at times infuriating, isn't it? Yes. And he's one of those characters that could have easily been recruited. And in fact, the judge attempted to recruit him towards the end of the movie. Yet, however, do you remember at the beginning of this podcast, I told you I wept? Yes. That final part of his performance is what brought me to tears. So what do you think, Jojo? Eddie Remain is, is, is so talented, and he's one of those actors I occasionally find very irritating for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but he, he, I, will, I will not disregard his talent because I find him occasionally irritating. But he was so good in this and um, so good at playing perhaps not a particularly likable character, in the traditional sense, uh, someone who uh, I don't, uh, who was maybe not fully understanding of what was needed for the cause uh, to begin with. But I think the transformation and the growth that Eddie Remain is, is able to convey of Tom Hayden is uh, is phenomenal. I would not be surprised if he gets an Oscar nomination out of this. You are absolutely right. This is a guy who thinks that everything can be approached uh, uh, intellectually and he doesn't seem to understand that, his, that, that the state in itself is a mountain of thuggery. <laughs> you can't yeah. know approach... A state that is behaving thuggishly with, you know, I'll bring my plume and I'll write a poem. That's bullshit. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, in some cases, the pen is not mightier than the sword. And uh, he was a big believer in that, I think, philosophically, but came to realize that sometimes you have to answer thuggery with thuggery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Andy Redmayne, you're absolutely right. I, I think that was an Oscar-worthy performance. Uh, in fact, I do believe that this movie is it should be generating all kinds of Oscar Oscar uh, buzzes, aren't it? I certainly hope so. Yeah. I certainly hope so. It's a it's it's just phenomenal. Yes. So let's talk about Sasha Baron Cohen. What else is there to be said? <laughs> um, he he. I think this is deserving of a nomination. Also? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I agree. I agree. He, uh, everything I read about the, the person, uh, Abby Hoffman himself, I felt that Sasha Barra Cohen was able to 
bring to the screen in a manner. This is, and I, I say this a lot, I feel like, but this is a character I think that could have very easily become a, a, a laughing stock, sort yes. of a, a goofy caricature yeah. in the hands of a less deft actor. Yes. And um, Sasha Baron Cohen was able to make you understand how important this was to Abby. And even though he was a comedian and even though he was able to make you laugh, how truly intelligent he was and that he was not a buffoon. He was someone who could, who, who was in this for, for the very personal reasons, not necessarily for, for, for gain or, or anything like that, but to, to end the war. And I think it was important to that the character of Abby Hoffman always referred to the cause as a cultural revolution. And people tend to be very scared of the word cultural revolution. And I think if you put into context the fact that culture in itself means way of life, right? Yes. That's that's all culture means, way of life. When, when we yes. talk about other people's culture, we're talking about other people's way of life. And cultural revolution is always happening with music, with theater, with, 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 with fashion. Cultural revolution is always happening. And so what you will have is that is people who assimilate the cultural revolution and move with it within time and people who refuse it. And you can see that. You can see that every day in your life, Right. People who are suspicious of it. So Abby Hoffman understood that that this cultural revolution was going to happen the moment we are as hellbound to protect our free speech, our right to protest, our right to say what we need to say, but most of all, we could not allow the government to come after what we think. And yes. those were the points that he made when he said, will you give me a moment, friend? I've never had to defend what I think. Right? Because imagine that, right? I mean, imagine yeah. that. Yeah. Imagine if, 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 if the government can come after you just because of, your thoughts, your thoughts versus your actions are two completely different things. But certainly, going after your thoughts is 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 dangerous, absolutely dangerous. So, yeah, um, this was the character to watch in in this movie. And the crazy thing is, I don't think we all took him seriously until the moment that you were commanded to do so, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, uh, definitely speaks to the, speaks to the actor, but it, uh, it speaks very much to the director as well. Yes. yes. I'm going to portray this guy to be a sideshow. And then I'm going to bring him in to make you sh see how powerful of a character he is. Yes. So we talk about Frank Langella as Judge Julius Hoffman. <laughs> Let me remind everybody that Frank Langella is an Oscar-winning actor, the best Nixon anybody has ever played on Nixon versus Frost, any? 
mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have nothing but love for this old Italian dude. <laughs> <laughs> but boy, I was mad at him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he uh, he embodied or, or, or was the epitome of uh, of of old white privilege i yes. don't know of 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 and and of of craziness as well like the dude was nuts yeah i think he was senile i think i think i don't know if that was the case with the judge himself but the very first thing i saw w- uh, with this character was that i think there's a huge case of senility going on here in it yes uh with the with the actual judge he was there had been calls before he prosecuted this case or presided over this case um and many calls afterwards for him to please step down because of uh feelings of dementia and incompetence uh from many different prosecutors and defendants so uh he he really shouldn't have been presiding. I would say the reason he was probably presiding was he was hand chosen by someone who yeah. wanted a trial to go to a certain way. Yeah. But yeah, uh Frank Frank Langella was uh was great in this role and makes you hate him. Yes. And uh but again, not in a way that uh is he makes this guy scary. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's yeah. he's he he's not even though he's ridiculous and he does horrible things, and it's and he, again, this could be someone who is a caricature. Um, Frank Lagella makes you understand the full power that a judge in the United States courts yes. has. Yes, yes, that's absolutely right. <laughs> he was scary because all the time, well, I kept thinking to think that my life could be in the hands of a guy like this at any given point in the criminal justice system. Yeah? That's all I kept thinking. Every time he acted the way he did, that's all I could think. think. Wow. This could be me in the hands of this guy. Yes. Wielding such power, such ferocious power over the life of human beings. Yes. When he himself is completely fucking nuts, isn't he? Yes. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, only Frank Langella could have done that. So there's that. So the next man I want to talk about is Yahya Abdul Mateen the second. My God. <laughs> what a performance. What a performance. I mean, who is this guy? You know what yes. I mean? Yes, yes. <laughs> who is this? This is absolutely riveting performance, isn't it? Yes. And he sold this character of Bobby Seal, and he acted like... Uh, there was a moment where I think that's when he got to Tom Hayden, when they visited him in jail, right? And he said to them, all seven of you have the same father, right? And then that conversation continued, and I'm like, 
There it is. But the Yaya Abdul Mateen was able to speak even with his silence. When he sat there and just looked, you could see, you could feel everything that was going through his mind, in his body, the powerlessness, but is the yet the rage. What a performance. Yeah. I, I, that's all I can say. What a performance. Yeah. yeah. Another um, Oscar-worthy performance, for sure. I should hope so. I should hope so because this dude, this dude is good, and I want to see so much more of him. Yes, he has not been in very many things. Um, he has 19 acting credits to his name, according to IMDb, and uh, I sadly have not not seen any uh, of what he's been in. I haven't seen the particular episode of Black Mirror that he's that he was in. So, uh, but. Uh, he was in Watchmen, so he's. It looks like he's very um, been very particular, perhaps, about what he's been in. So good for him, and uh, I hope that it just. I hope his career just advances, and he. He, uh, like you said, we get to see a lot more of him in the future. I think we have to get to watching Watchmen. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> I don't know why, but I think. <laughs> It could be said that we have a propensity to sort of like skip anything that everybody's watching. <laughs> I right? think so. <laughs> I think it's it's one of those shows that everybody, well, for me, it's a little bit like Game of Thrones where right. everybody's like, oh, you have to watch Watchmen. Yeah. It's so <laughs> good. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll get to it. <laughs> but we, and I'm, we per, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's wonderful and I'm sure it's something that I would love, but it, sometimes you just, if you get too many people telling you to do something, it's like, eh, no, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and the other thing is that uh, kicking and streaming, at least what we think of, of what we do is more like, let's find some, some of the more obscure, um, series and movies to watch and tell people, yeah, you know what? You should, you should give this one a chance because I think we tend to find things that people probably skip because yeah. not enough people are talking about it. And yeah. And obviously people tend, tend to go after the things that most people are talking about. Yeah. Speaking of which, why, like, is this movie in everybody's mind? Like a, a, a I, I, I never heard of it uh, before. The Chicago, what the Chicago Zero Seven? Yeah, I, I haven't uh, heard a lot of people talk about it. it I, I haven't heard anybody talk about it either. It, it came up in my recommendation list on Netflix, but I, I haven't heard anybody talk about it. So I, I don't know. Yeah, Georgia, sometimes you're too good for me, man. <laughs> 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 And I was like, all right, let me check this out. All right, so in, so there's two more actors, I, I mean, that I'd like to talk about. <laughs> One is, of course, Mark Rylance as William Kunstler. Absolutely fantastic. Yes. Absolutely fantastic. Yes. Uh, this is a guy that I, most of the time I see him, he is, uh, he is in, in an Aaron Sorkin movie. But I think my first encounter with this guy was with that movie with Tom Hanks. Uh, do you remember that movie? Bridge of Spies? Bridge of Spies, yes. And I was like, 
yo, this guy is good. And he always has this face of, I think I'm about to fart, <laughs> but I'm trying to hold on to it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> is that, do I, am I the only one who says that? Like, he, he always has this face of, I'm slightly in pain. And it is because but I'm holding it in. He is English. He yes. is from uh, Ashford and Kent, and he is a sir. He is a knight. He is a knight holding in a fart. <laughs> <laughs> so there was quite a few Englishmen in this one, anyway. Yes, yeah. yes, there really was. Yeah. Uh, maybe nobody plays Americans as well as the English. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but yeah, Eddie Redmayne, Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, Mark Rylands. I mean, that's, that's, that's a, a trifecta of Englishmen right there. <laughs> so yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe, you know, nobody plays an American as an English. <laughs> Because <laughs> at the end of the day, Charlie Chaplin came, came what fourth in a competition of playing Charlie Chaplin. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorite bit of data, man. Like, yo, you may be Charlie Chaplin, but these niggas are doing better than you. <laughs> 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 All right. So Mark Rylance was fantastic as William Kunstler. And uh, at times, I kind of got mad at him. But I also have to understand that as a lawyer, your job is to to do what's best for your clients. So he took that position, and I understand it. So perfect performance and possibly not best supporting actor, but... but it should be looked at, I think. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I think he portrayed the the difficult position that the character was in very well, and the I guess sort of desperate bid to keep some sort of uh, uh, ethicality going on in a in a very unethical trial. Yeah. And he was the first one to catch on that the judge was kind of like fucking bonkers, isn't he? Yeah. Like, yeah. this motherfucker should not be doing, should not be presiding over this court, simple as that. Yeah. But um, yeah. a judge is a powerful thing. And, and in our time, we had, we've just w- gone through a situation of, you know, a laugh, lifetime appointment of powerful judges in this country who will possibly live for the next 45 years sitting on that bench and making decisions that will affect all of our lives. And I think one one of the things we can see in this movie is also how powerful uh, decisions by a judge are, sorry. Yes. And uh, also, it gives us a motive to revisit the idea of term limits for judgeships. I am a proponent of that. Yes. I, I, I think there's a reason why you retire at, six, at 65, <laughs> right? There's a reason why. Uh, and, you know, some people live to be 100 years old and still have all of the mental faculties intact. 
But that's not the case with everybody. You know? No. No. And 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 the, the other issue I think that you run across with with people is that it takes a very special, very rare individual to be able to leave behind their generation's beliefs right. and change with the times. Yes. And that, that is so rare and so special. And the idea that there can be that many people in one room together is impossible. <sighs> so those, those, those ages are going to bring their prejudices and their, their odd mindset with them. And typically it's not good things. Sometimes it is very good things, yeah. but typically there are not good things. And uh, you have to be able to change with, with the times. The, 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 the law system has to be able to adapt to the needs of the people. And if you have a group of people who are many, many generations removed from the majority of the people who have needs there is no way that they can ever possibly understand. Obviously, we're, we're, it's very difficult to understand each other anyway, yeah. <laughs> just based on, on what's going on. But if you really have that removal of, of education, you know, separation of education, of upbringing, of race, creed, religion, beliefs, and then you add so many layers of years on all of that, I just don't understand how that can be something that is functioning truly for the people. Like I said, you be saying stuff, Jojo, you be saying, no, 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 no. You think I'm playing, man, but you be saying stuff, Jojo, you be saying stuff. You got, you got, you got exactly what I was, what I was coming out with and couldn't in my, you know, English as a second language English. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> Finally, let's talk about Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is a favorite of yours. You know, he is. He is. is. I just find boy, him very um, watchable. <laughs> he he's he's he brings something to every part. I feel, um, and you know, uh, he's just he's he's a very interesting actor and very. I think chooses his parts carefully he and does. puts thought into them. And this character was not, again, not a, a particularly. No, that's not. That's not true. He was a character I think who wanted to be liked. Does yes. that make sense? Yes. Someone yes. who who wanted approval and who who sought approval, but at the same time knew what the right thing was. Yes. Um, but didn't maybe have the strength of character or will to make the right thing happen, or or at least recuse himself or excuse himself yeah. from from something that he didn't really believe in prosecuting. Um, yeah, I, I think this was another character who was in it for his father. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I agree. I, I think agree. this is one Very of the most so. important points that is made in this movie is this, you know, this idea that... At the end of the day, there is always someone we're trying to impress. And this someone could be a ghost mm -hmm. that follows yep. us through our entire lives. And we yep. may never realize that's what we're doing. 
when yep. we think we're doing the right thing, when we don't think we're doing the right thing, but we still proceed, is because at some point, f- flashingly, we go through what would this person not do, but want me to do? What would gain the approval of this one person or this one institution or something, right? Yes. And and that's what I see in this character. But yes, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, the thing about Joseph Gordon-Levitt is that he's got this innocent face. And even when he's playing characters that are uh, not necessarily great, you have this need to empathize with him. You have this need to like him. <laughs> like, I can't mm-hmm. help but mm-hmm. like you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, very much so. Yep. And so, of course, his performance was was beautiful. And I have no no complaints about that, even though I didn't like the character. I know right. that I did say that this was our the last actor we we're going to talk about, but I also have to to give a huge shout out to John uh, John Carroll Lynch, who is one of the best character actors actors out there. Yes, you know. yes, he 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 really is. He yeah. <laughs> he. Uh, I. I don't think I've ever seen anything that he's been in that I've been like, well, that was crap. I, yeah. I mean, the movie or, or the TV show might have been, but yeah. he, I, he's just consistently good yes. and um, consistent in, in the kind of character that he that he plays. Yeah. I just saw him in, oh my goodness, my brain went blank, whatever movie I just saw him in. Anyway, what, I was happy to see him again. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it probably is the guy that you'll never see starring a movie. No, no, I don't think so. Which is which is a shame. Yeah, but he he is great. There is one actor I wanted to ask because uh, I was surprised to see him for for so whatever reason, which um, was Michael Keaton. Yes. Um, yes. What, what did you think of of Michael Keaton's performance? I think <laughs> I think Michael Keaton is Michael Keaton and. There's something about having played Batman that makes you awesome in everything else you do in your life, like except for if you're Ben Affleck, of course. <laughs> Poor Ben. <laughs> <laughs> but like when I see Michael Keaton, I can't help but feel that's our dude. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just my guy. You know? Yeah. That's my Batman. That's 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 Batman of my generation, of my coming of age. You know what I mean? And yes. and when I when, when I saw him playing the character, I was like you go, Michael Kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for bringing him up because uh, yeah, I was I was happy to see him there too. Yeah, yeah, I, he was a nice surprise for me. For whatever reason, I had missed that he was going to be in it. I, I don't know why, but so when he popped up, I was like, oh, Michael Keaton, <laughs> love that guy. <laughs> yeah, I love that guy. Yeah, you're wrong, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, absolutely. So we've had a fantastic conversation about this movie that wasn't about this movie, probably. (laughs) (laughs) We do that sometimes. We do a lot of that. (laughs) So um, watch this if you haven't. Look, when we have these discussions, we don't expect everybody to agree with the way we think about things. This is not even the 
the purpose of this podcast. Do my opinions represent my opinions? Yes. Are they necessarily this podcast's opinions? Well, probably because, I mean, this is our podcast. This podcast is <laughs> Jojo and Graham's podcast. So, yeah, that, that's the opinions of this podcast. Having said that, we're not scared of you not agreeing with us. And the conversation can be had, whether civilly or not. We, at least myself, I can tell you to go fuck yourself if you don't agree with me. But I will hear what you have to say before I tell you to go fuck yourself. So that, there's that. It's important to understand. I will hear what you have to say. Will you convince me of what I already think? Probably not. Because I think... I, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to sound arrogant with this, but I've seen enough of the world in my 45 years to understand some things a bit more than some people. And that doesn't mean everything I understand is exactly the way they are. But the fact is I've seen and heard and read and lived through different vintage points in this life to have the opinions that I have. So in that respect, if you come at me with your regurgitating shit that you've heard, that your mama told you, that your pastor told you, that some weird-ass politician, conservative, or otherwise told you, I will listen to you. But in the end, when we disagree, I will tell you to go fuck yourself. That's me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> did you want to add something? I, uh, I completely agree with you. And uh, I, again, if, if someone disagrees with, with me, you know, and if you have research to the contrary to anything that, that I've ever said, I will happily uh, read whatever sources and references you have to send to me to to see uh i i will happily be proven wrong in something however um be prepared to be able to prove me wrong that's right see jojo said these things civilly while i told you all to go fuck yourself <laughs> but again english is my second language and sometimes i say fuck you just to say all of this that she said And, you know, and, you know so quite often it just boils down to go fuck yourself. <laughs> oh, my gosh, you end up saying it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it is hard to come now and tell you to follow us on social media because we've already told you if you disagree and you want to have this discussion, we'll listen to you and in the end tell you probably to go fuck yourself. But... <laughs> Um, whether you agree or disagree, if you would like to, you can follow us on social media. Jocelyn, you will find on Instagram only as Jocelyn Podcast. Meanwhile, you will find me on Twitter and on Instagram as Mr. Puzzetta, M-R-P-U-Z-Z-E-T-T-A. That's M-R-P-U-Z-Z-E-T-T-A. You can also follow this podcast on um Every single social media platform except LinkedIn. Except LinkedIn. <laughs> Kicking and Streaming Podcast. You'll find us. Thank you very much for listening today, Himran. Thanks, everybody. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Kicking and Streaming Podcast. If you've found value in our content, please subscribe and share. We would also be delighted to hear what you think of this podcast. So please rate us by writing a quick review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on all major social media platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Join the conversation happening today on our Facebook group. 